Okay, so now we're at the end of this list. The order of salvation. The order of salvation. Um, we started out, we found out God chose us to be his sons and daughters before he created the world. I mean, we could have ended there and said, wow, how amazing. But of course, it had to be applied to our life. So then we heard the good news of the gospel, that Jesus invites us to come to trust him as Lord and Savior. And then there's regeneration, <clears throat> that, that, that God takes that old, spiritually dead, what Jamie said this morning in the sermon, uh, dead in sin, um, uh, uh, that old self that we have, and God imparts to us through the Word, and the Holy Spirit working through the Word, gives us a brand new life, regeneration, so that we're able to respond to that gospel call that we hear. And that regeneration begins a change within us that then starts to work out, and the first thing that happens is conversion. We trust in Christ for forgiveness of sin and turn from our sin. And so, um, and so then God declares us forgiven of sin, justified, righteous in his sight. And we think, oh, wow, what a tremendous blessing. I've been born again, and I have forgiveness of sins, and I'm, and I'm going to heaven. And then we say, wait a minute, that's not all. There's something else. You're not just forgiven, you're adopted. You are counted by God to be his son or his daughter, not slaves, not creatures on a distant planet, but members of his family. And you get millions of brothers and sisters in the bargain who play board games with you and things like that. <laughs> so there's more. Not just born again, not just forgiveness of sins, but adoption. You have a new family. You're part of God's family. He say, oh, great. Well, sure is good to learn about salvation. I say, wait, there is more. What about your pattern of life? You're still not happy with it, even though you're forgiven. There's some disobedience. Well, here comes sanctification, the next thing. God works in us at the beginning of the Christian life, and then through the Christian life to make us more and more like Christ, more and more free from sin. Jamie talked about it this morning. It took 10 years, he said, to overcome his fear of speaking in public. And that is, isn't that something? Isn't that God's way? It takes a long time, but there's progress. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's a long, but that's, yes, there's more. He makes us better and better throughout this life. That's why there's an advantage to being in this class. Because <laughs> many of you have been Christians a long time. And there's a lot of maturity. And there's a lot of Christian wisdom. Okay. A lot of power and prayer in this class. There's a lot of, lot of history of walking with God for many years. A lot of knowing his word and treasuring it. People in this class pray for you. That's a very significant thing. Sanctification progresses through life. Ah, well, that's good. This, this, this Christian life is getting to be a really good deal. But there's more. Really? Yep, there's more. You'll never lose it. Perseverance. You continue through the... If you're truly born again, Jesus is going to keep you till the end and beyond your death until the very last day.
perseverance. And then death we talked about last week. As the Lord doesn't give, allow us to go through death for punishment, because punishment for our sins has been taken, but it increases our sanctification. It's another step in drawing us near to God and helps us to walk with Christ in the way that he walked and makes us like him, and, and God uses it for his own purposes, uh, the uh, situation of aging and death. So God brings blessing to us even through that, that experience that the world so fears, and we're set free from that fear of death. And that is, and you say, wow, what a great, great gift this salvation is. Forgiven, born, born again, forgiven, made members of God's family, made more holy, <clears throat> continuing in the faith, even bringing me through death. What a great gift. And now I'm going to say this morning, that is still not all. That's still not all. If you're totally forgiven, legally, you're right before God. If you're a member of God's family, you're, you're, you have fam family membership. If you're totally <laughs> holy and free from sin after you die, the sanctification is complete. You say, wait a minute, what more can there be? What more can there be? I'm forgiven. I'm a member of God's family. I'm perfectly holy. Oh, what about that physical body that grew old and you left it behind when you went to heaven? You think God wants to do anything about that? Yes, he does. He's not going to leave that alone. He's not going to leave that forever. But there will come a day when he raises that body from the dead and makes it better than it has ever been. And that's called glorification. So that's what we talk about this morning. Glorification is the final step in the application of redemption or application of salvation. It will happen not the day we die, because our bodies stay on the earth and we're buried in the ground. It will happen on the day Christ returns and raises from the dead all the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls. But what if you happen to be alive when Jesus returns? Well, in that case, he changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, <clears throat> thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. So let's look at these verses now. First Corinthians 15, 22 to 23. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay, in Adam, just as Adam, after he sinned, he and Eve sinned, they began to grow old, and eventually they died and returned to the dust from which they were taken. As in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, we'll all be made alive. Jesus was raised from the dead, and in Christ, <clears throat> we're going to be made alive in that way. But each in his own order, and this the Greek word behind this has to do with a, a sequence or an ordering of events. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Using an agricultural metaphor, Paul is saying that Christ is the firstfruits. He's like the first crop, the I mean, first taste of, of the new crop of strawberries or apples or tomatoes or whatever. And you, and you say, wow, that's good. The whole, that's what the rest of it's going to be like this year. 
So using that imagery from agriculture that people would have been very familiar with, Paul says Christ is the first example of what we are going to be like. Christ, the first fruits, he, raised, he was raised from the dead on the first Easter morning. But then at his coming, that's the day Christ comes back. That's when that happens. At his coming, those who belong to Christ, that's us. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute because I just remembered something that came up after class last week. Somebody raised the question because I think it had to do with Pammy's question about praying to God and saying, was it your dad? We tell my father, hi. <laughs> yeah, and then to miss him. And somebody raised the question last week, when people die and go to heaven now, do they see us here on earth and what is happening? And I kind of skirted around that but didn't quite address it. And so let me pause for a minute and say, I think so. And if you have a Bible and you look at Hebrews 12, this is why I think so. Hebrews 12. Now, I'm going to read Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews says, Therefore, so we have to go back to what, it, what went before that verse, find out what he's saying, therefore, for. And since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what is this cloud of witnesses? What is he... Who are these witnesses? And we're wondering, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin and let's run. He's got an athletic image there. It's like running a race in a stadium and you're surrounded by all these fans who are looking on. That's the, that's the picture and you're running a race. But who are the witnesses? Well, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, look, he goes back to, look at, look at chapter 11, verse 4. 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Verse 7. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he went out. And Isaac and Jacob are in verse 9. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah received power to conceive. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They were looking forward. Verse 17, back to Abraham. Then verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. 22, by faith, Joseph. 
23, Moses. And then, by faith, 29, the people crossed the Red Sea. Then 31, Rahab. 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, etc., of whom the world was not worthy, in verse 38. And then he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I think he means all those witnesses are watching. They're watching what's going on in the world, how the purposes of Christ in advancing his kingdom and building his church are working out in history. Now, the Bible never tells us we, we should pray to them, and Protestants have historically differed with our Roman Catholic friends on that who will pray to the saints. It doesn't encourage that. It discourages us. In fact, when, when Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament sought to contact Samuel after he died through a medium, and he was rebuked for that. In fact, he lost his kingdom for it. So we have to be very careful that I don't think we should ever pray to those who have died. I want to be cautious about that. But it looks to me like Hebrews is saying, they're watching. So run with perseverance. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. And that is an encouragement to us. Randy Alcorn has a book, marvelous book, probably the best book Margaret and I read last year, called Safely Home, about the persecuted church in China. At the end of the book, he talks about how some of these martyrs were watching their children and grandchildren be faithful and how there was joy in heaven over what was going on. And so, yes, I think so. I don't know if you want to just raise a question about the Georgian. You look like you have a question or a comment. I've often wondered about I've often wondered about this, and I have no idea. But yet, in heaven, we are happy. Yep. And uh, they, if they look down and see us, yes, they see the wonderful things of uh, the faithful ones that are following. But then they also would see the ones that have turned away or, mm-hmm. or, or might not be, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, how, that would bring sadness to them, and yet there's no sadness in heaven. Not sure I have an answer to that. Um, probably the sadness would be mitigated by knowing that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, for his people. And yet, even God has a sorrow at the Persistent, the persistent refusal to repent of the unbelievers. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, says Ezekiel 33:11. And and so, um, I think it's possible to look from heaven with sorrow at the evil that is going on in the world, but have underneath that sorrow a deeper, stronger joy that God is wise. And his purposes, his sovereign providential purposes are being worked out in the world. And even the evil that he allows and brings such sorrow will ultimately be judged justly by God and will vindicate his justice. Um, 
so it's it's sorrow within a context of great peace and joy that God is in control and all things turn out the way he wants. I think that's there is a passage in Revelation where these saints the 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 the, uh, the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Christ cry out how long O Lord before you will avenge on the earth. Now where I just I was just going to find that. Let me see why I'm not finding that in Revelation. How long, O Lord? It's the saints who have been beheaded and they cry out from the altar, how long, O Lord, before you will avenge on the earth the blood of those who have died, that that kind of thing. I can't find the verse, but I'll find it right after class. Okay, but that might give the same idea, Georgianne. You're nodding. I mean, you you remember the passage, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, anything else on that? Yeah, uh, Brian. It's what six nine. Thank you, thank you. What's your name? Daryl. Thank you. Six nine. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, "O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long?" before you will judge and avenge our blood on the, those who dwell on the earth. And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Yeah, thanks. Brian. Yeah, going back to um, Hebrews 12, 1, regarding the uh, great cloud of witnesses. Yep. Uh, I always saw that as... Um, they're not so much as looking currently watching us, but rather witnesses in the sense that they are a kind of testimonial to the faith and life that we are to be uh, seeking and pursuing. Is that a possibility? Or? Yes, it definitely is. And the ESV Study Bible is going to say that's an alternative interpretation of this verse, but probably not the best one because... Um, because witnesses can mean those who are watching or those who are testifying or have testified. Um, but probably encouragement that we should run because we're surrounded by them and the imagery of an athletic contest probably favors probably favors um, their watching. That's why I said I think so. Okay, there's a li- it's not as str- you know maybe that's the wisdom of God for us to get a hint of this but not be absolutely sure or make too much out of it. Okay? But but that but thanks Brian because because some people think that's what it means. So um, I can't be absolutely certain. Um, but that's why I was able to say last week every once in a while something happens that I know a pastor friend who who encouraged me a lot and is now in heaven that I know he would enjoy and just and just laugh with, with joy in the Lord about. And I kind of smile at that, and I wonder if he's watching. That's all, that's, that's all the farther it gets. But <laughs> maybe he's busy watching something else, see, because there's a lot going on. And we remain finite creatures. Yeah, way back there. What's your name? Marty. Lottie. Um, I was wondering if the yeah, because uh, the Catholic Church teaches that the saints pray for us. Yes. And are these texts sort of kind of you can be interpreted as the saints being part of 
yeah, or interceding yeah. for for the yeah. believing church. Yeah, that's why I want to be really careful because um, if if we begin to kind of draw more and more ideas from that possibility, then I think we're since the time of Martin Luther and John Calvin and the Reformation, where Protestants have disagreed with Catholics on that, is said don't try to talk to the saints and ask them to pray for you. Why do you have any need? Jesus welcomes you into the very presence of God. You don't need to ask others in heaven to intercede for you. And particularly, of course, there's been a difference with our Catholic friends regarding Mary, whom we think of as a finite human being, a godly, wonderful woman, honored God and had the privilege of giving birth to Jesus, being his mother. But, but just as I can't hear more than one person talking to me at one time, Margaret can manage two sometimes, but not more than two. <laughs> um, so I don't think Mary can hear more than one person talking to her at a time. She's a finite, she's, she's, she didn't, didn't obtain any qualities of deity. Do you think that they can like pray in a general form, like not hearing people people's prayer, but pray yeah. on the ground that they have been a part of the world yeah. and, and witnessed yeah. what... Maybe. I'm, I'm not willing to say yes or no, but I, but I don't... I just don't think the Bible lets me go that, go beyond that. And just, so, but it certainly would not say, encourage us to do that. And the verse that has been strongest on that is 1 Timothy 2.5, where it says, there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So if we pray to Jesus, ask him to bring things to the Father, or we ourselves bring things directly to the Father, we don't need anybody else. And it's the, it's the threat to the uniqueness of Christ and his high priestly prayer or intercession for us that has led Protestants to object to prayers to the saints. It diminishes Christ. So, but good question. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Are we okay on that? I'm just, I'm, 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 I, so I'm back to, I think so, but I don't, I don't want to spend very much time thinking about that or developing because the Bible's evidence is so thin. I, I hope I'm all right on that. Okay. We go on. Um, is that, is that helpful? Okay. It should be an encouragement to us overall. Okay, uh, so the New Testament evidence for glorification or receiving a resurrection body. Um, now, uh, at his coming, those who belong to Christ will be made alive or raised from the dead. First Thessalonians 4, which incidentally, I well, that was a chapter I came to this morning in my own private reading through the New Testament. And here we are on this very topic. 1 Thessalonians 4, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep means people who have died. That means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and our loved ones who have died. That their souls are in heaven, but their bodies are on earth. So Jesus, when he returns, is going to bring with him those, those millions, millions of souls of believers who have been in heaven, but haven't had new bodies yet. Jesus is going to, God is going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive here at Scottsdale Bible Church on 
May 18th, 2008, at 10.26 in the morning, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That is, we won't get resurrection bodies before them. The King James Version had prevent there, an old meaning of prevent, said meaning, meaning come before. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, I didn't get all the verse on here. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, so that's the picture. Jesus brings back the souls of those who have died. And uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. That is the first thing that will happen when Jesus comes back is those bodies of believers who have died will be raised from the dead. And I've mentioned this once before. We had, we had good friends back in Illinois whose... Uh, Whose, uh, whose daughter had a serious heart disease, and when she was, I've forgotten if she lived to six, I think age six or seven. And then, and then after much prayer and much medical attention, she went to be with the Lord. And a couple of years after her death, I was with the mom and dad just on the anniversary of her death, and we went just quietly and reverently to stand at the graveside there where this little girl had been buried. And the mom, after we just kind of waited there, just kind of reflecting and, and thanking God for her life, and the mom said, isn't it wonderful that from this very spot, Jesus is going to raise Gretel's body, and it'll be perfect. Now, that was a, was a vivid faith in this glorification. The dead in Christ will rise first. Jesus is going to bring them back to life and gather them from where? The, the earth, the sea, wherever. Again, Jesus says in John 5, 28 to 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and all who are in the tombs, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I think doing good and doing evil are indications in a person's life of whether they've had saving faith or not. They come out to the resurrection of life. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That's just a promise that our body's going to be made new. Romans 8:11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this idea of resurrecting our bodies and making them new and making them making them perfect, physically perfect. This is in it's 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 in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians, it's in John, it's in Philippians, it's in Romans. Again, Old Testament support. A really beautiful verse in the book of Job. Job 19, 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Confidence in the resurrection. Daniel 12 hints at this. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Just hints at this in the Old Testament. Isaiah 26, 19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. And I'm going to go to the New Testament to get a little more Old Testament support for this doctrine. How can I do that? Because there are some verses that talk about what Jewish people believed when they didn't have New Testament writings yet and they were talking to Jesus. So here, for instance, John 11, 23 to 24, when Lazarus had died, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha, who didn't yet know about, because Jesus hadn't died and risen again. She didn't have the New Testament teaching on the resurrection. From the Old Testament, she had this idea that there would be a resurrection. Acts 24, 14 to 15, Paul says, this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul, in his Jewish, in, in, in arguing against the attacks of his Jewish opponents there in Acts 24, he was saying, well, they also, these Pharisees who were accusing him, they also have a hope in the resurrection. And the author of Hebrews seems to apply that hope to all these Old Testament saints who had died. These all died in faith, Hebrews 11:13, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. If they'd, if they'd been seeking to go back to the place they'd gone from, they, they would have had opportunity to return, he says. But they desire a better country than the, than the earthly land of Israel. That is, they desire a heavenly country. So God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So that looks like hope and resurrection in which people will dwell in a new earth, a better country, or, or even in, I guess, a heavenly country. So, uh, so there's hope in the resurrection. Now people say, well, okay, there's a resurrection. What will our resurrection bodies be like? And Paul addresses that in some detail in, in 1 Corinthians 15, after he said, you know, at Christ's return, we'll be raised, then, then, then he says, well, someone will ask, this is verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15, someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul's next words are words that I will never say to anybody who asks a question in this class. You foolish person. <laughs> He's, someone will say this. He didn't really name the person, but he said, you foolish person. And so now he goes on to explain, don't you know? You see, these people that grew up with agriculture. So he said, don't you know what you sow does not come to life unless it dies? What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So he's saying it's like planting a seed, like, and that's burying our bodies in the earth. And, and then something new comes up that looks different from the seed. 
What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are all sorts of different physical bodies that things have in God's creation. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another kind. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Star differs from star in glory. They say, look at all the wonderful things God has made. What a variety and what wisdom and excellence in the fish, in the birds, in human beings, in sun and moon. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Now this is verse 42. What is sown, that means buried when you die, Sown in the earth, like planting a seed. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So that's the first thing we're going to look at, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That's the second thing, glorious. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. That's the third thing, powerful. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That's the fourth thing, spiritual. So he gives those four qualities, and then he draws a parallel with Adam and Christ. And then, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's Christ, and we'll be like Christ. Okay, so what do those four things mean? Imperishable. That means you don't get sick. That means you don't grow old. At least that. There's not decay built into your body anymore. Yes, says Dave. Finally, I'm getting some affirmation here. I was hoping somebody would like this idea. A body that doesn't get sick, that doesn't grow weak, that doesn't grow old. How old will it be? <laughs> what is... Um, I don't know, when are, when are human bodies at their peak condition of, of maturity and strength? 25? Something like that? Help me, Rick. How old are people? When? About 25? Or earlier, 23, 23, 25? Is anybody here 23 to 25? What's your name? How old are you? Stand up, Debbie. <laughs> okay. You remember you were that age one time, right? <laughs> I do too. It was fun. It's fun being 62, but um, 60 also. Not I'm just just. <laughs> Anybody else? 22 to 20, 25. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's your name? Jackie. Stand up. All right. Now, now, for the two of you, enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Something, something like that, but even better. Because, Jackie, you've gotten sick, right? Yeah, in your life it happens. Yeah. So, that's my guess. Um, not sure, but that's... It's, it's, it's a body that's made perfect. It's like Adam and Eve's body before they sinned. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Wayne, can Dick. you just can you comment on uh, cremation? Because when you talk the story yeah. about the little girl, and yeah. then I know a lot of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a controversy, and yeah. some people feel very unsettled about it. Yeah. I have my opinion, but like yours. Yeah, Vic. Okay. Yeah, it's it's exactly at this point that I should say something about cremation. Um, um, the short answer is I don't think the Bible gives us any rules, and uh, my preference would be, when my body dies, simply to have it buried in the earth. That's my preference. Um, I think it gives us, it gives kind of a message that I'm waiting for the resurrection. When we lived in England, cremation was much more common than it is here. And in some parts of the United States, I think New Orleans, for instance, where burial ground is very difficult to come by and not very plentiful, cremation is more common. And Though that wasn't my preference, I don't think that I would say it's wrong. And the reason is most of our body is going to decay over time anyway, and that, that just makes the process very quick. And I think God can raise a body from those ashes just as much as from you know, bones that remain in the grave. And so as long as, if a believer is cremated, as long as there is some indication or testimony given that we're still, that this isn't denying that there's going to be a resurrection, that we're still waiting and, and hoping, looking forward to the resurrection. So I, I just have mentioned one other thing. I, I don't know if that's helpful, on, on to, but you don't want to say anything more on that, Vic? I have no problems one way or the other, and, and it's one of those things that, you know, you think about it, well, my mother passed away about a year ago. Well, when she died, she died at home. Yep. God took her soul at that yep. point. Yep. So would the point of resurrection be you know, that point, or would she actually be at the point of burial? And But to me, with God, all things are possible. So right. if someone takes her body and throws it on the sea and yep. spreads across yep. the sea, yep. that oh, body... Whatever is left of it, come. God will use to raise, and he'll find it. Yeah. Okay, one more here. I forgot your name. Yeah. Oh, what about the people who are killed on all these airplane uh, flights who are Christians and they're, yeah. you know, they're burned up immediately? Yeah. I yeah. think there's comfort in knowing that God can. He'll find the ashes. He'll find the ashes, yeah, whether sure. it's in a car crash or yeah, airplane so. or. Yeah, definitely. Whatever. Yeah, definitely. Carol? If my ash, ashes are taken to the Mount of Olives, will I be ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, everybody all over the world is going to be pretty happy at that time. Okay, so imperishable, uh, not growing old or weak or dying. And that's, that's a wonderful thing, and, um, and, uh, and I'm, I'm so thankful for it. It says to me, you know, forgiveness of sins, being born again, Adoption into God's family, being made more holy, all this, going to heaven. There's still more. God cares for the whole person, all of us, including our bodies. And our bodies are important. So he'll take them, he'll take them, he'll take them and make them new. Are we going to recognize each other then? Oh yes, I think so. But I think I mentioned once before, after my grandmother, who lived into her 90s, after she died, um, I was visiting my parents a couple of months after that, and my mother had put up on the wall a picture, 
And I thought, who is that beautiful woman? And then I realized it was my grandmother at about 19 or 20. I thought, you know, that's what she's going to look like next time I see her. It took me a minute to recognize, but then I said, oh, yeah, that's who that is. And I think that's probably what happened to Jesus' disciples after the resurrection, because Jesus had lived a very hard life, and the end of his life had suffered very much. And then all of a sudden they realized, whoa, this is who this is. It's the reverse of going to your 40th high school reunion. <laughs> oh, that's who that is. Okay. It's <laughs> all right. All right. Imperishable. That's good. Glorious. Glorious. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Those two words, optimia and doxa, those have a lot to do. They're used often with uh, with respect to physical appearance. With respect to physical appearance. And so, um, as we age, our bodies just, I'm just going to say it, they diminish in physical beauty. Not Margaret, but everybody else. <laughs> She's beautiful. But, you know, we do. And yet, I think this glorious, it at least means that our bodies are going to be more handsome or more beautiful than any movie star that you can imagine today. All of us. God's, they will look different from each other because I think we'll have, we'll, be, we'll have our similar characteristics, but made much more attractive than ever we were at age 25. Amazing. C.S. Lewis said that he said if if we could if we could see the beauty that God with that God is going to give us in a, in the at the resurrection in any human being today we would be so stunned we would almost want to bow down to worship. And I think glorious means that it's going to be remarkable. And, and glorious is the word that also is used to speak of God's glory, the bright light that surrounds him. And there are some hints that there might even be a radiance about us, a brightness about us. There are three verses that hint at that. Matthew 13, 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I don't know if that's poetic imagery or if it's literal. I'm not sure, but it... Hmm? Baldness in heaven. Now, Doug, there are good comments and there are unnecessary comments. <laughs> this one we're going to try to erase from the tape. <laughs> okay, I think brighter than that. And then um, Daniel 12:3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And Exodus 34, when, God, when Moses went in and talked to God, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. From being in the presence of God, Moses was just kind of radiating this glory of the presence of God. So I wonder if appropriate to our heavenly status, there won't be a kind of almost a radiance about our body. And you know, can you almost see that sometimes in a Christian Margaret and I went to one of her class reunions, and across the room we saw this couple that we'd known in high school, and they looked different, and we both said, I wonder if they've become Christians. And we kind of moved our way over to that side of the room, we started talking to them, and lo and behold, yes, 
They had lived in a town in Minnesota. Some people had come door to door, talked to them about the gospel. They accepted Christ. They were active in their local church. There was a brightness about their face that now it wasn't a real physical light, but it's almost a hint of the glory that is to come. And so, um, glorious, at least very, very attractive, and yet distinctive, like each of us. Phil? If the optimum age and of resurrection bodies is 20-something, then we'll yeah. be babies and children in yeah. heaven. Yeah, okay. That died. Okay. I'm going to, again, give you a hunch that we're at the area where it doesn't quite say that, but I think that people will be adults, young adults. And so, of course, our friends whose daughter died at age six or seven, they were wondering about that, and and I think they'll see her, just as I'll see my 90-something-year-old grandmother at age 20 or 22 or 25, so I think they're going to see their daughter at, at sort of full adulthood, uh, rather than, because... The, the idea of growing from childhood to adulthood in heaven, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't quite fit with what I think of as heaven. But, I, but I'm, not, I'm not sure. Not sure, yeah. Okay, two over here. I'm just watching the clock here. Let's see. I think I saw... Okay, first, what's your name here? Uh, Dan. Da- Dave? Just curious, before the resurrection, where are the souls of those that are not saved? We, we know that those that are saved, the souls are with the Lord. But where are those that are not saved? Uh, in a place of punishment. Um, and there is this parable that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus in the Gospel of Luke, where the, where the rich man was in a place of torment. And so, I believe so. Um, there may be some other passages that I don't right have on the top of my head now. Not as much evidence about that, but I think so. Shirley? Uh, will we be aware of male and female? I mean, will there be any kind of appeal, you know? Will you notice that this guy over here is male and he's appealing? Let me see how I'm going to handle that one. Uh, I, hmm, there are kind of two aspects to that, surely. Well, the first is, um, I think Jesus was a man when he rose from the dead, not an androgynous person or kind of neither male nor female or an angel or something like that. I think he was a man. I think Enoch remained a man when he was caught up into heaven and Elijah also. And... As I've thought about it, I think that the excellence and beauty of our manhood and womanhood is so wonderful a part of how God has created us and so deep a part of who we are that I think I think that I'm still going to be a man in heaven and Margaret's still going to be a woman. Um, she wouldn't be Margaret if she weren't a woman. There, I mean, there's... Her, there's such femininity about her personality and her, her soul. I mean, it's just, and it's, it's beautiful. And now, now that goes to the question of what about sexual attractiveness, which is what you hinted at. And, and Jesus said they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So, I, so there's, 
basically the Bible is silent on that, and, and my, my hunch is there that God hasn't told us, but it's going to be better than... But heaven's not going to be worse than earth. So, but, but other than that, it's, it's what no eye has seen nor ear heard, what has entered into the heart of man, nor has entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love. We don't know. And it, and it isn't healthy to speculate, actually. So beyond just saying, I think we'll retain ma manhood and womanhood or masculinity and femininity, but how that works out in detail, God hasn't told us. Is that what? That's good news, yeah. I think it's good news, yeah. Okay, all right, so um, glorious. But do, are, you, are you hearing me that a lot of these things, I'm not saying this is for sure. I'm saying I think, I think this seems like how old people will be or if we'll be children or if we'll be male and female. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going just by implication of the general idea of, there's, yeah, a lot that is driving that is how God made Adam and Eve. And it was excellent. It was very good. And he's not going to lose the excellence of his creation in the material world. Okay, powerful, I think that means strong. I don't think that means infinitely strong, but I think it means you're not going to have the weakness that doesn't let you open the jar of pickles. Or, do you know what I mean? Or, or lift the suitcase into the overhead bin. Or do what God wants you to do. Or, or run 10 miles if you want to, because you have joy in it. Or... Sean, strike out every one of us who comes to the plate. <laughs> I just noticed you over there. Um, I still don't think I want to be a batter when Sean Bosky is pitching in heaven. Um, no, I'll let uh, somebody else do that. So, uh, because I think there, the, things that, the things that are part of us, we'll enjoy even more. And then we have the opportunity to learn more things. Yes, Duff, golf courses for sure. <laughs> And I still don't think I'll be able to beat Duff, but I'll do a lot better than I did. Okay, powerful, strong, not weak. And then spiritual, I do not think that means non-material, like a ghost, because all is truth about the resurrection of the body. Spiritual, if you take that adjective, pneumaticos, in the New Testament, and you find many uses of it, it has to do with obedient to the Holy Spirit, subject to the Holy Spirit, suited to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it means... Spiritual capital S, really, and uh, that is uh, following the Holy Spirit in all that we do, and uh, and obeying Him and empowered by Him. Okay, that's great. I think so. What continuity will there be between <clears throat> our present and future resurrection bodies? Uh, we talked about that. Whatever remains in the grave will be taken by God and transformed to make a new body. Um, Christ, some people ask, what about the scars in Jesus' hands and side? Will our scars remain? I think no. I think Jesus' scars in his hands and side were unique reminders of his once-for-all redemptive work for us. I don't think he had scars on his head from the crowns of thorn, crown of thorns and open wounds in his back from the whipping and all that. I think they were just token reminders that God has left there for Jesus to help us remember forever what he paid for us. But I think no scars, no wounds, no injuries uh, left. Yes, I think we'll be able to recognize and know each other. We've already talked about that. And then, more than that, and we're running out of time, I can't spend any time on this, I think the entire creation is going to be renewed because way back in Genesis 3, when God said to Adam and Eve, cursed is the ground because of you, 
thorns and thistles and choya and saguaro and pickly prayers. Pickly prayer, will it bring forth for you? That he altered the course of nature. So there are, there are, there are deserts and, and that are just hard to cultivate and there are and there are thorns, and there are bees that sting, and tornadoes, and I think all that's going to be done away, because Paul says the creation was subjected to the creation was subjected to futility, but the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so I think there's going to be a transformation of the earth, so it'll all look like the Garden of Eden did at the beginning, and be wonderfully productive and beautiful. The unbelieving dead will be raised for judgment on the day of final judgment. We've talked about those verses in John 5 and Acts 24. That's the end. Now, I, you know what? I've got a problem here and that I have to honor the time commitment of the church. So I can't do, we've talked a lot, but I can't continue more. But here is the sense. I have, I have a hymn that everybody knows, but then I have one that I like a whole lot. How many people, this is, the sands of time are sinking, the dawn of heaven breaks. Does anybody know that? The summer morn I've sighed for, it's a great hymn, we're not going to sing it this morning. <laughs> Mike Mobley and I are not going to sing a duet. Okay, here we go. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, old gospel hymn, let's sing this, all right? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have earned this for us, this great, great reward of a body made perfect, beautiful in your sight, very good according to the way that you and the Father created it. Lord, we look forward to that, but more than that, we look forward to fellowship with you and then from you, fellowship with each other forever. Amen.